Hi, this is Tanya Yeremkiv, and this is a collection of my audio blogs. I'm here to inspire and empower you to get transformation in every area of your life. Today's episode is about five ways to increase your hope. And I want to start by saying a verse from Hebrews 10, verse 23, and it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In my last episode, I talked about how everyone is dealing with something, how there are problems everywhere. I talked about my friend who got stuck in Portugal and how I secretly wish to be in her place and how we often wish to be in other people's shoes when we're dealing with stuff. But what I didn't talk about are some problems I've been personally facing. When I listed the five ways to increase your hope at the end of the last episode, I really just wanted to cut to the chase and skip the parts of my life where I personally felt hopeless. I wanted to provide the tried and true methods of what worked, but I overlooked the power of personal experience, especially when God moves and works on our behalf. These five ways to increase hope have become part of my life consistently. When I notice myself getting out of sync with myself, with God, or with others, and just really when I'm facing any problems, I check myself and assess if I've been active in these areas. They're not set in stone, religious, or rigorous tasks. They're just intentional actions that I've really tried to discipline into my life one at a time and came to a point where I can confidently say that they work. They actually increase my hope. And so that's what I wanted to share with you. I truly believe that if we profess hope, we must learn how to hold unswervingly to it. Listen to my previous episode for more context on that. So the first one is to practice gratitude. And I want to go way back to March of 2021, where I vented to my husband about some of my writing projects and some other things that were going on, hoping to get some motivation from him. But his tender response, as always, convicted my heart. He said, don't get offended, but you've complained about this before. And that struck a chord in me because I was like, I didn't recognize that I got to a place of consistent complaining. So I spent that evening thinking back to all the problems I've faced in recent months, even years, and noticed how with each problem my complaining would increase. And so wanting to change that, I researched what it would take. How can I change that? I looked at Bible verses, blog posts, motivational speakers, pastors, and even my husband said the same thing. To get really disciplined in this practice, I committed to writing at least three things down every day. So there were days when I forgot, didn't make time, or got too lazy, but as time went on, those days became more seldom. I changed my formats, titled it differently, for a time I called it wins instead of gratitude list, and I wrote them down at different times of the day. And I finally came to a point of consistently writing three things I'm grateful for every night before I go to bed. Several months later, my husband bought me a daily gratitude journal, which simplified my process even more. And now I keep this journal on my nightstand and to this day, write at least three things I'm grateful for every night. So this, again, doesn't minimize the seriousness or intensity of my problems, nor did it distract me or make me avoid them. Instead, it changed my attitude my approach and my perspective. It helped me to affirm what was already good in my life and in the world. 
despite the corruptness and brokenness, it helped me see the beauty in creation and how God was working. It helped me look outside of myself and my problems and expanded my capacity to help others and inspire them to pursue their dream. I went from occasionally feeling grateful to being a grateful person, which increased my hope no matter the problem I faced. And now it's your turn. How can you implement practicing gratitude into your daily life? And if you have, what changes did you see? The next one is to pray and meditate. James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, meaning it works. Just like I can't go a day without talking to my husband, I've pursued to have the same approach to God. It's not about being hyper-spiritual or overly religious, but about pursuing a relationship with Him. Prayer is our way of communicating with God. He gives us direction and guidance about our present problems and rejoices with us when good things happen. I recognize the value in setting aside time for prayer, but I've personally found it more effective to pray throughout my day, every day. First, this takes off the pressure of trying to achieve a quote-unquote goal to check off the box, mark it done that you've prayed. Prayer and meditation are ongoing things. It's not a one-and-done, time-to-move-on type of thing. And second, It helps you become more attentive, alert, and available to God's voice. His spirit is one with yours. So when you're in prayer and meditation, you will recognize his will for you in specific situations because you're seeking him and his kingdom. You're pondering on his word, which is alive and active. Another powerful and effective aspect of prayer is praying with others. The first part of James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I venture to say that when we are decreasing in hope, we lose trust in God. It's important to have trustworthy people to share your struggles, doubts, and moments of helplessness so that they can pray with you and for you. When my uncle passed away unexpectedly, our family dealt with the reality of death grief and extreme sorrow unlike anything we've experienced. I come from a very large, tight-knit family and he was the first sibling on my mom's side to go and she's one of 16 kids and they're all biological from the same set of parents. So one of the biggest hope increasing factors was praying for each other, not only between family members but from our friends and church families. To know that they backed us up in prayer throughout this time increased our hope vastly and it motivated us to reach out and pray for others to increase their hope as well. And this happened last year when my grandmother passed away and several years before that when my uncle-in-law passed away. It's helpful to pray for each other and to pray with each other. How can you implement these practices into your life, prayer and meditation? Who can you go to for prayer and who can you pray for today? The third point I want to make is taking input inventory. So your information consumption shapes the way you view the world. From the shows you watch, the books you read, and the podcasts you listen to, and daily news, social media posts, TikTok reels, it all affects us. By taking inventory of your inputs, you filter out what's helpful to you now versus what's not. So it's true that there are seasons where you have the mental and emotional capacity to watch various TV shows, scroll endlessly on social media, or even pay attention to the news. But there are other times where you need to put it all on the shelf and basically fast from the things that could easily weigh you down, decrease your hope, and distract you from what's important. 
Earlier this year, I deleted my social media apps from my phone. I found myself constantly checking my notifications, obsessing over each post, perfecting each caption, and really just getting consumed by questions like, am I posting enough or too much? What should I post tomorrow? What about next week? How can I stay relevant? What will others think? Yada, yada, yada. It really distracted me from doing what I wanted to do, made me feel like I wasn't doing enough or being enough, and increased my FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. Now that I've been off of it, I had time to focus on my writing for my blog and my book, which by the way, I invite you to subscribe to my blog and stay tuned for when it comes out. I'm super excited about it. It also helped me be more present in my relationships, work on more projects and hobbies such as painting and journaling and reading. And most of all, I just find myself in a consistent place of hope, clear-minded and filled with hope. I don't know how else to say it. With the war happening between Ukraine and Russia, I've actually had the capacity to help encourage and pray for these countries and my friends and family who are directly affected by this. Instead of getting lost by opinions on social media and reposts of what others are saying, I've had truly meaningful conversations that strengthened my relationships and brought us to a place of unity and again, hope. Taking inventory of your input is one of the most practical ways to increase your hope and I invite you to implement that into your life. How can you start today? How can you take inventory of your inputs to filter out what's helpful versus what's not. What are the things that you're filling your day-to-day with that you can take inventory of that and be like, this is helpful and this is not. Number four is read the Bible. Romans 15 verse 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The entire Bible, and I mean both Old and New Testaments, does this. I've heard preachers and have said this myself, that books like Leviticus or Deuteronomy are boring and irrelevant, but I so wish I could take that back from every conversation and sermon I've said. Because something I've learned is that without the Old Testament, we would not have context for the New. We cannot cherry-pick verses and chapters that make us feel good while avoiding the ones that make us somewhat uncomfortable or disinterest us. When you read places in scripture that are confusing, take some time to investigate the Jewish and ancient context to learn and understand the culture of the time of its writing. Doing so will help you glean the encouragement, the comfort, and the godly counsel that the Old Testament provides. It also helps you connect the full story and the gospel of Jesus, bring you closer to him, and help you understand God's will and purpose for your life. I come across moments where I want to give in to my problems and worries instead of hoping in God, but reading the Bible increases my hope because the word seeps into the spirit of my mind and helps me to live according to the spirit instead of the flesh. You can find more about this in Romans chapter 8. I hate to admit that feelings and thoughts of inadequacy creep in often, telling me I'm uneducated or unexperienced in the things that I'm passionate about. But the Word of God helps to cleanse me from these thoughts. It teaches me to renew my mind and to get my confidence from God instead of myself, others, and titles or accolades. Sometimes I go through seasons where I can follow a solid Bible reading plan and read daily, but then I come across times when I just don't have the brain space for it. 
it and end up going a few days or a couple of weeks without it. The days I took to read the Bible set me up for the days where I feel like I can't. Reading the Bible increases your hope because it infuses you with truth, wisdom, and peace to have in every season. When you read the word, it stays in you and you can turn within to it and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into its truth no matter what problem you face. I encourage you to start reading the Bible, to get into the word, to study the context and to maybe even memorize a few scriptures so that you can let the truth just saturate inside of you. I also encourage you to look into the context of your favorite Bible verses. What do those actually mean? And the last one is reach out to others. When you need more hope in your life, it's important to reach out to others. It can seem like the worst idea because you have to open up and get vulnerable. But the biggest lesson I learned is that everyone is dealing with something and that reaching out to others will diminish feelings of loneliness. Whenever you feel alone, you'll get surprised at how many people will relate to your problem and say, me too. The specifics might not be the same, but the situations can be similar. For example, my church hosts women's events every month and something I leave with every single time is a bigger awareness that every single person is facing something. There are individual struggles, family and relational issues, work stuff, and so on. The list just goes on. But this also reminds me of when I got together with my family for my uncle's funeral. It fascinated me that we were there for a united purpose. But still, every single relative had a personal problem that they were walking through. To quote Maya Novak from Thrive Global again, she shared, there's nothing like a sense of belonging during difficult times. When you go through tough times, you can feel like you are bearing all the weight alone. You feel nobody can understand what you're going through, but you're not alone. Like I mentioned quite often throughout this episode, everyone is dealing with something. If you find it difficult to reach out to find support from another, reach out on their behalf. Genuinely check in on others and see how they're doing. Reaching out to help and support others is a way to increase hope too. It's a reciprocated action. You can reach out to others for help for yourself, but also to help others. And my last question is really, how can you implement that into your life? Who can you reach out to in your times of trouble and who can reach out to you? Again, I invite you to subscribe to my blog to stay tuned for when my book is going to come out. Also follow my podcast and my blog for new posts and new audio blogs. I am so excited for what's to come. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this audio blog inspiring and I'll see you next time.